program may have uh, ideas of such specific gravity as to be totally incomprehensible and quite possibly repugnant to many of you out there. This is a disclaimer. We would suggest you tune on down the dial where they're doing a nightly salute to uh, Julie Andrews and the sound of music. <laughs> but uh, we're separating the damn sheep from the damn goats here. I mean, I'm telling you, you're just going to have to measure up. That's all, friend. We're through messing around. It's spring now. It's time to cut out the weeds. Get right down to where it was. Right down to where the bigger row grows. Tis sound and fury. Sound, I say, and fury, signifying nothing. All right, everybody, let's dance. Yes, that's true. I say fine. I'll walk right into it. I say let us dance. By George, I say let us dance. <laughs> is always frightening. Uh, there's no question about it. It's the love-hate, the fear relationship uh, that always exists. I mean, it, it, you don't know whether you love it or you hate it when you're confronted with it. It's a, one of the vast mysteries of time. By the way, speaking of the vast, I'm going to put you on your medal tonight. Uh, I'm going to give you a test tonight. Uh, once in a while, we have a little test here that, uh, that, that kind of to determine whether you're really part of it. And it's not in or out, whether you're part of it. Now, everybody knows here in New York, they have the Flower District, right? I'm not speaking of Greenwich Avenue or McDougal Street. I'm talking about the Flower Flower District, right? Everybody knows that they have the uh, Garment District, right? And you all know that. All right, I'm going to ask you a question. Where is the Bridal District? Do you know that there is one street in town that has all the places where you go, you know, if you're going to become a bride type. And uh, it's the, it's like the bridal capital of the world. Where, what street is that? <laughs> no, 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 no. What's, it's a specific street. All right, where is the button center of New York? The button center. Where? I know, I know. 
Why do I know? God only knows that. But I know. All right, where's the hardware center of New York? Hardware. Shepard can tell you one block where there are more ball-peen hammers than in the entire state of Utah. Don't ask me why I know this. It's just kind of mind. Well, you know, I, I don't remember anything important. I, I don't remember Pearl Harbor. I don't remember anything. But I tell you this. I tell you and I tell you well. I know where you can buy tax by the pound in New York. Also staples, insulated or uninsulated. <laughs> That's a big difference. And uh, now, uh, of course, many people... Uh, wait just a minute. I'm going to adjust my material here, my equipment here. One, two, three, four... Hello, test. Hello, test. I'm using a very expensive microphone tonight. It's really good. You know, generally, uh, I'm such a pro, and most of you know that uh, musicians walk around, they carry their own instruments with them, their own mouthpieces, and so on. Well, I'm such a professional in this business that I carry my own microphone with me. I have, hello, one, two, three, four. Hello, test. Hello, test. We're now using one of the old mics that we used to use here at the station, and uh, you'll notice that, uh, uh, once again, uh, I have that sound of uh, Walter Winchell. You know, it's broadcast from the studio. Hello, everyone. Hello, ships of sea. Uh, this is all part of it. See, see what we could really do to you if we wanted to do it to you? <laughs> Please, will you? Herb, thank you very much. We return to the land of the living. And now, uh, I, uh, as a, you know, as a, as a participating, participating person in this vast veil of tears, did anybody call in? They told you what street? That is correct. Absolutely correct. The bridal, bridal District, hold it up, please. The Bridal District on 35th Street off 5th Avenue. Absolutely correct. That is true. Now, if, you're, if you want to, you know, go look for some tool. Uh, <laughs> if you, yeah, you know what they even sell there? They got one shop there that does nothing but sell these little men that stand on the top of wedding cakes. Yeah, these little men, you know, the little people. The little guy that looks like the late Thomas E. Dewey. He looked exactly like he was on the top of wedding cake. And uh, Tom Dunn looks like that. Tom Dunn uh, looks exactly like he should stand there on the top of a wedding cake with little striped pants, you know, his hair is painted on like that, you know, and he's standing next to this uh, this lady. But uh, this uh, this is all part of the kind of mind. Now why? Now now why? All right, I'll tell you why. My life was changed dramatically here about two years ago. You probably have noticed it yourself. You probably noticed one interesting point that uh, I, I I shouldn't really bring it up, but that is this that you find yourself incapable of turning my show off, right? Incapable. You're sitting next to the, to the radio. You can't understand why you're listening to this trivia. You cannot. You sit in front of the radio, and you say to yourself, what is this? This is insane. i got to get up in the morning. Why am I listening to this nut? What? You know? And still something holds you like you are being held by some insane cosmic magnet. You're sitting there in front of that cheap Japanese radio when you could be doing any number of things, writing a three-act play that David Merrick would produce. You could be uh, uh, making a scene with a chick. And what are you doing? Sitting there in front of that radio. All right, I'm going to tell you why. I, I think we've arrived at the point. We know each other well enough to you know, talk about some of these subtle techniques that are used. Uh, I mean, you just, we're part of let's, let's put it on this basis. Have you ever considered the devil theory? No, no. I, I don't quite know how to say this to you, but uh, 
Oh, I might as well come right out and say it. That, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you believe... No, I don't want to get into theology here. <laughs> not at all. Not at this time, no. Not with the baseball season about to begin. No, no. Uh, well, let's put it this way. More and more people are beginning to realize that the devil is no longer a joke. There is such a thing as the devil. Do you believe in the devil? How about you? You do, Mar? Well, of course, you're in ad agency business. You can, you'd have to. Uh, that, that sort of follows. But uh, the devil, no, I'm telling you that the, the, that the devil plays a part in everyone's life. And I discovered it. And I discovered one of the reasons, you know, I, I, just a few, a couple of years ago, I was a listless uh, weakling. Uh, I, I, uh, I found that, uh, I, you know, I found that I, I, for no reason at all, I'm sitting at the chock full of nuts eating a chocolate brownie, and I suddenly find myself laughing hysterically for no reason. Uh, I walk down the street, and I, I realize that uh, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are guys who throw beer cans at people, and then there are guys who get beer cans thrown at them. Now, you make your choice. Uh, <laughs> you, you make your choice. And I'm placing no value judgment on neither the thrower nor the throwee. It's just like our world has become a world that is neatly divided into two groups, the naggers and the naggies. Now, uh, you make your choice. You are either Jane Fonda or you're the person whom Jane Fonda nags. You are either Ralph Nader or you're the rest of us. In other words, you are, there's the two groups. There's the naggers and the naggies. Now, now I'll tell you about the naggies. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting crowd themselves. There's some people who have an insatiable desire to be nagged. That's important, yes. Uh, to be nagged. They want to have barracudas constantly yapping at their bottom. They want to have people continually pointing out their shortcomings, their failures. They want to have people continually pointing out the path of righteousness, how to straighten up and get going. Why the hell don't you clean up your place? I endlessly, endlessly, they need this. All right? Now, there's the other... By the way, since there are large numbers of people who need this, believe me, there will be many people who will volunteer for the job. <laughs> the nagger is i might say this if you'd like to make the transition between being a, a you know if you if you if you're tired of being a naggy forget it you'll never make the transition naggers are born and not made however naggies are made and not born the other side you are beaten down into it and once once you get a taste for being nagged you can hardly stop it's closely related to what they call masochism, but that's something else. There's another little coating. It's a little more like phenomint. Uh, once, what, yes, I said phenomint. Once, once you start at this level, of, oh, no telling what the, uh, what the, uh, what the ultimate uh, result will be. It's like the time my kid brother once ate a box and a half of X-Lax. Well, it was an exciting time. I was more action, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, people got, you know, after a couple of weeks of the action, they got so they kind of liked it. This is, uh, this is what ultimately happens to you. So uh, I say to you, why is it you're trapped by the radio? Why do you have to sit and listen to me? All right, I'm going to let you in on something. Two years ago, just about this time, did you notice the change came about two years ago? Two years ago this time, where was I? 
East Africa, not just Africa. Africa. I was in East Africa. I'm walking along this street, and I look around, you know, and I see, I see things which I had never seen before. I felt feelings I had never felt before. And that afternoon, I am in a compound, and I could hear the sound of distant drums. Distant drums. That's right. Distant drums. And within five minutes, Shepard's life was converted into another completely different coin. Yes, the old tinfoil Shepard had disappeared. The Shepard made of balsa wood and playa film was gone forever. Gone forever, un unwept and unmourned. Yes. The looming, towering shepherd was coming over the horizon, taking giant steps and gulping up the world as he approached. You could feel the thunder of his enormous stride as he approached. Shepard had allied himself incontrovertibly with the devil. Yes. Many friends have uh, asked me to turn back. But these are friends who have fallen by the wayside. These are friends who are strewing the streets with the poor, sad spore of their failures. <laughs> Shepard does not have time for faith. Shepard does not countenance boobs and knaves. Now, sir, Shepard countenances no shilly-shallying. Shepard marches forward. Inevitable, like a force of nature. His antenna sending out vast, high-voltage, powerful shots of total charisma in every direction. You hear that, sir? Can't turn it off. Yes. Yes, Shepard willed himself into another being, a being that was nothing but pure, solid, radiant energy. Radiating energy from the netherworld evil forces are at work right now at this very minute. Do you know what that sound is behind me? That sound of the beating drums? That is the sound of the rejuvenation of total alien subterranean powers. Shepard is calling once again about the devil to get behind him. I hear you talking. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I know exactly what you mean. Yes. I, yes, that's true too. Yes. Bring it up. Thank you. Speaking of the devil, this is WOR New York. 50,000 watts of total power. Floating like some great green, invisible poisonous gas. <laughs> you can't see us. You can't even hear us. You have to have magic devices to hear us. And don't think that radio isn't a magic device. You try to explain it. The little thing you turn the knob on and a sound comes out. That is no explanation, friend. Why does it work? How? <laughs> don't come back here and give me this business of low-level, single-pole, dipole rejuvenation. All that flim-flammery. I know about stuff like rectification 
positive and negative and Kirchhoff's laws and all the rest of it. It goes beyond that. A little more, please. This, incidentally, is the basic cry for the fattening of chickens. Shepard has a cry for everything. Want to fat the chickens? I turn up the game. Stereo. I lay it up and down the air shaft, and there ain't a chicken within miles around that don't gain five pounds at night. That's right. Tonight, Shepard is going to play the basic female mating call. When Shepard puts that mating call on, I just tell you, it, we're very lucky that this place is well guarded. That there are countless guards at the door. We'd have to be beating women off for miles around. Bring it up. Please. Thank you. Hold it there. Now, I want you to listen carefully to the radio. I have important instructions for you. In spite of the fact that you've been fighting it for months, you are going to buy an amazing flying bird. I know you think this is ridiculous, but you are now called upon to do it. You are going to do it. You are going to make out a check or a money order to Flying Bird, Department S. Post Office Box 1909, Grand Central Station, New York, New York, 10017. And, uh... Here is my instruction to you. Do it now! Okay, that means you better do it. That's, I don't like to get smart with you, but these flying birds were invented in France, and they're an ornithopter, and I'll tell you, it, it's going to make your summer. Uh, and at least you can count on it, you know? Here's summer's coming up, and you think you're going to have all this scene out at the beaches with the chicks, and you're going to run and drink beer and all that. It's going to fall through like it does every year. I mean, it's, you know that. So you might as well at least get one thing you can count on, this flying bird. You just take it out in your backyard, wind it up, and at least the bird will fly, even if you don't fly. And they're guaranteed to fly, and they're fun. $3.98, and they're 16 inches across. And they really do fly like a bird. And you have your choice. You better mark it down. You either have a white dove or the yellow bird. Right? 398. New York State Residence Ad Tax. Yeah, that's New York, all right. And we have another commercial here for you. This week, men, Shoe Town proves once Shoe Town proves once again that it's the place for you. Mr. Mark, Shoe Town's head buyer of men's shoes, has snapped up the newest leisure shoes from Spain. And they're made by world-renowned Don Ricardo. And they're sharp-looking, funky casuals, according to the commercial here. Now, I know another word for the word funk. They sell elsewhere for $16, and they're at Shoe Town this week for only $11.11. And they're really comfortable. They're great-looking shoes. And at Shoe Town's low, low sale price of just $11.11, you can really go wide, you know. And while you're at Shoe Town, take advantage of this special on men's socks. These one-size stretchomatic socks fit sizes 10 to 13. Stretchomatic. This week only. Two pairs for just 88 cents. Shoe Town sale on famous Don Ricardo casuals and one-size stretch socks starts tomorrow and continues through Saturday only. And that's a big sale, man. And incidentally, these items are available only at the Shoe Town stores in New Jersey and New York. Right? Now, no, I, 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 I just, just didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to scare you too much about. Hey, we've done two commercials here. What, what do you do? Uh, Shoe Town, right? And uh, birds, right? I'll do one more here. 
One more. Hey, Savers. Now, that's an opening line. I haven't known a Savers since my old man left the scene, and all he saved was cigar store coupons. But nevertheless, <laughs> he did. Hey, <laughs> boy. <laughs> he didn't believe in money, but he had a lot of cigar store coupons. I wonder how many, how many people save green stamps and they never save money. Twelve million books of green stamps. But uh, nevertheless, if you're a saver, and you might be, March 31st should be good news for you. Good news because on that day, most banks will credit interest on your savings account, some at 5% a year, some as low as 4%. Now, the question is, will you have to wait another three months before you get another dividend credit to your account? Well, customers of Providence Savings Bank won't because they credit their dividends monthly. And that's a big difference, because if you take your money out in the middle of the session there, you'll get interest on it. So Provident wants you to get the most on your savings, and you don't have to even live in Jersey uh, to be part of their savings crowd. Over 82,000 Provident savers from all over the country know that they've never missed paying a dividend in 132 years. 132 years? Barum. That, <laughs> that's a long time ago. It just hit me. Hey, who was president 132 years ago? I want to know. Anybody out there got a book that they can look it up in? President 132 years ago. That's when they first started to not miss dividends. So don't uh, don't uh, miss out on this. You can get your bank by mail kit, and it's free, uh, just by writing to me. Who is that? That guy's on the morning. Write to me. W O R New York 10018. Or you can call them. The telephone operators are on duty right now. MU two six eight zero zero right now. Now I'm curious. Who was president 132 years ago? Uh, there, there must have been a president then. 132 was it? Millard Fillmore. It was about in that time. By the way, I, 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 uh, I'm part of the Millard Fillmore Association in this country. Uh, yes, there is a group. It's, it's an underground group. Uh, and and every year people celebrate Millard Fillmore, who was the first man who made mediocrity totally popular. And uh, in fact, he made it a positive virtue. He ran on the mediocrity ticket. And uh, yes, he says you could trust mediocrity. He said I won't have an idea that's going to get us into trouble. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, you know, uh, reading history. <laughs> I mean, you, you, ever, you ever think about, uh, here we're getting the report here from the historical section of our listeners who was president 132 years ago. Who was it? Oh, come on. Grant was not even uh, out of West Point then. Who was it? 132 years ago. We're getting the information here. Charlemagne, come on. He wasn't president. He never got elected. He ran, but he never got elected. I remember that. I mean, uh, I keep confusing Charlemagne, Charlemagne and Hunrath the Bald. All right, hold it up there. Yeah, there we got Martin Van Buren. Oh, the popular Martin Van Buren was president at the time. Yes, uh, where was Martin Van Buren from? Hmm? That's right. That is correct. And uh, Martin Van Buren was president and when the first Provident Savings customer went down there and put his dough in and uh, <laughs> and they ain't missed a dividend since that day. Now we're getting another report. John Tyler. Uh, Typical new and Tyler, too. Yeah, I remember that. Yes, sir. My old man was still yelling about that. He said, ain't going to get Tippecanoe. The hell with him.
But uh, nevertheless, we're, now was it Tyler or was it Martin Van Buren? What kind of a newsroom we got here? Some guy ran in here and said, what is it? Come on, Coolidge wasn't president then. What is this? See, that's, that's the trouble. The Americans are non-historical people. We simply do not tolerate history. I, I suspect that, that one, of the, one of the comments, he was way ahead of his time. Uh, who was it who said this? Now, I'm going I'm to ask you a question, a, a basic American philosophy. Who is it that said the following statement? Now, listen to me, Mark. A following famous statement. History is bunk. A famous man said that. History is bunk. That's all he said. He said that. And, of course, he was put down loudly for saying that. Who was it who said that? He became famous for that. Well, he was famous, but he be this added, uh, let's say, a little touch of uh, infamy to him. History is bunk. Who said it? Who? <laughs> Get out. Thomas Alva Edison, huh? Well, uh, that's a good try. But uh, who, who said that? Now, now and, and he was saying that, you see, because this is a basic American attitude. He, he, he really put into one phrase an attitude that Americans hold very dear. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, uh, no question about it that we're, we're like that. We're fascinated by history, but, uh, particularly other countries' history. But our history, we kind of put down. Now, who was it who said history is bunk? Just laid it out. Now I'm not here to I'm not here to give you a history lesson. I'll, I will say this though, I remember as a kid, I'm sitting there seeing, and we had this teacher named Miss Robinette, and uh, Miss Robinette, she believed in history, you know, and she had these, she had these uh, these charts that she'd pull down, she pulled down a chart, you know, and the chart was over the blackboard. You remember those charts they had? She pulled down the chart. They were like shades, like window shades. See, she pulls it down, and uh, she had one chart that had the presidents all lined up in boxes, had little boxes up and down, you know, with all the various presidents, see, and it told what party they were in, like the Whig Party, uh, the Mugwumps, uh, the Know-Nothings, and uh, I'm sitting there looking at this thing, see, and there was one thing that got me, there was one period, and there was brackets around it, see, around each president, there were brackets like told what happened during, Tyler was a Whig, I see, he was a Whig. Well, I know for several newscasters around here that are still Whigs. I know one that's a Tory. I mean, uh, there are a lot of guys that are still working the, the know-nothing route. And, uh, oh, yeah, the Bull Moose Party is still rampant. So is, uh, it, it, See, these are all expressions of various philosophies. But nevertheless, one thing that I want to ask you here about this whole thing of history. You know, I'm sitting there, and uh, me and Schwartz and Flicker in the back there, and we're watching this chart, and Miss Robinette would talk about the presidents, and she had cards that she would hold up. She would hold up the name of a president. Yeah, she would hold it up like uh, Martin Van Buren, and you were supposed to say when he was president. Kids would raise their hands, say uh, 1812 or 1874. And uh, around one president, a group, in fact, there was a president that had a big bracket around him, and it said, the era of good feeling. Do you remember reading about the era of good feeling <laughs> in history? Well, what the hell was that? I, I mean, I'm, can you imagine all those guys? Somehow I had an idea. I'm sitting in the back of the room saying, I'm thinking, gee, the era of good feeling. They must have all sat around and played cards. And, and uh, somebody sent out for beer, you know. And the whole country, for a whole long time, people just walked around and said groovy things, you know. And, and uh, it's kind of a good feeling. And I can just see, I can see the vice president saying to the president, 
Sir, do you realize that uh, you are president during the era of good feeling? And, and, uh, and the era of good feeling is, is uh, it's the only time in history. In fact, that, that should tell you something about the basic attitude of man towards his fellow man. That one of the rare times in history, apparently, when guys weren't on each other's back, was of sufficient news that they named the whole era after that. The era of good feeling. Now, I, I, I don't know when it is. It's certainly not now. I wonder what history is going to call us. I wonder if the guys in the time knew that they were in that period. I mean, like, like can you imagine two guys sitting around, see, and they're in uh, Milano. And uh, now let's take even another, uh, even more uh, elegant place. Uh, we're in uh, Genoa, see, at Genoa, right? That sounds pretty good, Genoa. One is named Pietro and the other is named, uh, how about a good name, uh, Ricardo. And Ricardo says to Pietro, Pietro, how is your painting? And uh, with that, uh, Pietro says, my painting? What's well, a painting? He says, but you are, in, you are in the Renaissance. You must be painting. You must do some painting. You are painting. You are working on the philosophy. Well, no doubt you are writing a, a manifesto. After all, you are a Renaissance man. Wouldn't it be terrible to be a Renaissance man and have no talent? I mean, to be... <laughs> You're living in the age of the Renaissance. And how about, uh, you know, uh, living in the... Uh, there were other great ages like that, like uh, the age of... Uh, the age of... Uh, what was a good one? They had a good one there in the 17th, 18th century. The age of reason. Can you imagine scoring 64 on your AGT in the age of reason? I mean, everybody else is having these fantastic salons, and uh, they're all going down to the... You know, to um, to Madame de Pompadour to have this, <laughs> you know, long evolved discussion over Descartes' theory of the localization of the soul. Hey, uh, by the way, speaking of that, I don't know why why we're bringing this up though. It's uh, it's beyond the can of this course. But uh, uh, since uh, we have brought up the era of good feeling, that's part of the uh, oh the era of good feeling. For those of you who would like to return to it, would you please hold it up, honey? Yeah, that was too quick. There, please. Oh, I see. We're getting additional information. The era of good feeling occurred in 1829. It was a brief period. It, it was over in 1837 when somebody hit somebody in the mouth in Chicago, and it was all over. And uh, the guy who was in charge during this time was Jackson, Andrew Jackson, I take it, right? Well, Andy Jackson was, was given for having fantastic beer busts in the, in the White House. And in fact... Uh, Andrew Jackson uh, appealed to me very much when I was a kid reading about presidents, you know, in Miss Robinette's class. You know what Andrew Jackson did? Andrew Jackson had open house in the White House. Yeah, anybody who came to Washington come in and have a beer and sit down, you know. <laughs> That's a fact. And they, they wrote their name all over the walls. People did. They wrote their names. They cut up the tapestries, and they were the guys were taking the pictures off the walls and sending them home. I sent this home from the White House. I thought you'd like it, Ma. And uh, that's a fact. That's exactly what happened during Andrew Jackson's time. So you can see why they had an air of good feeling. I mean, uh, can you imagine how groovy it would be if you could just go to Washington, you know, and that uh, you, you arrive in Washington, you know, you get out of the train station, you get out of the, you get out of the airport there, see, and you, you got a, two or three hours to kill. So uh, you you call up, uh, you know, you call up Dick, you know, you call up Nixon, and uh, you get him on the phone. You say, "Hello, this, I'm I'm in town." You. I thought I'd drop by. He said, well, come on over. We're just starting to break out a deck here. We're going to have a little game there. Come on over. Bring some money. And so you you jump into a cab, and you spend a couple of hours, you know, playing poker there with you and Kissinger and all the guys. And, 
you know, he doesn't know you from Adam, you know. And he says, hey, listen, uh, why don't you take one of the chairs when you go? Be a good souvenir. Take it home. You want to write your wall, uh, name on the wall in the oval room here? Yeah, go ahead. Here's a crayon. And uh, you write your name. Within 15 minutes, believe me, everybody would love Nixon. They really would. They <laughs> that's the era of good feeling. And uh, that's that's what Jackson did. Of course, uh, um, you know, there's always one sorehead that that uh, that breaks it all up. It all happened in Chicago. Uh, I, I briefly mentioned how the era of good feeling ended. It was a guy in the corner of Randolph and State, and uh, yeah, and a little hassle. There was a guy there selling selling hot dogs, and and you know, short change artist. Next thing you know, a fist fight broke out. It spread to Evansville, and by the end of that year. We were plunged into a depression. The era of good feeling was over. America had become an international, an international nation, and uh, we began to fire British warships in the Erie Canal, and uh, it was all over. And then they began to charge again into the White House. You know the whole thing. And uh, but that's that's the way it is. It's uh, everything. No, things have their peak. They have the decline. They have their ups and their downs. And uh, time, time will, uh, as I always said, uh, you see, I, I come up with these original comments once in a while, and I'd like you to write this down. Time will tell. That's uh, my concept for tonight, and I, I want you to uh, put that down on your, your note there, because it will appear in the Blue Book examinations this year. Would you please, Herb, that little uh, special cut that I gave you there. It's time now to take a brief interlude. Now it's time for The Perfect Comeback. Another actual story about a person who knew just what to say and when to say it in order to squelch some pest or heckler. And today's perfect comeback is from Louise Morrell of Dayton, Ohio, who writes, The other day, when I was standing on a corner waiting for a bus, a wolfish-looking young man wearing a little black mustache, dark glasses, and a beret pulled up alongside of me and gave me a low, suggestive whistle. Ignoring him completely... I became deeply engrossed in my evening newspaper. Apparently not choosing to recognize my desire to be left alone, this self-styled Lothario leaned out of his sports car window and whispered, Oh, come on, baby, how about a little lift? Well, avoiding his remarks, I turned my back on him and I feigned interest in the contents of a nearby store window. Still, the eager young Don Juan persisted. Look, honey, says, hop in. You and me could make some beautiful music together. Well... With that last remark, I had had enough. Spotting the ideal opportunity to get rid of this pest once and for all, I turned sharply, looked him straight in the eye, and then raising myself to my full height, I spoke softly but firmly as I said, Aw, oh, shut up, you dumb jerk face. <laughs> Our thanks to Louise Morrell of Dayton, Ohio, for that excellent, perfect comeback. Just another example of knowing what to say and when to say it. It was sent to you as a public service by this high-minded, public service-minded station. And, uh, by the way, uh, I have a little note here for you that uh, might uh, rock you to your heels. Uh, do you know that there are many different kinds of Chinese cooking, different styles, you know? And, uh, oh, yeah, some, some... You know, I've had some Chinese cooking... And I'm going to be serious with you right here for one instant, friends. I have had some Chinese cooking that is so fantastically hot. So, I mean, immensely hot uh, that uh, it makes, well, it makes the really hot Mexican cooking seem like pablum. 
but nevertheless, if you've never really tasted some of the great Chinese cooking from all over the whole country of China, from north and south and the northeastern parts of China, we would like to suggest the Great Shanghai. It's a legendary restaurant, and uh, it's right up there by Columbia. In fact, uh, many of the more exciting uh, student demonstrations have started right there in the Great Shanghai probably under the influence of this fantastic Sichuan food, which can turn you into something else. Oh, oh yeah, it's terrible aphrodisiac. So try the Great Shanghai's Sunday Brunch. They have a big... Uh, you know who invented the brunch? It was uh, uh, Charlie Chan, actually. He used to eat up at the Shanghai, and, and uh, he had trouble with his accent, and he was really trying to say lunch, and it came out brunch. <laughs> everybody let's dance very good I'm, I'm willing you know what the hell I say let it all hang out you know that's the great Shanghai Broadway at 103rd Street and their big brunches every Sunday and it's great two dollars and 75 cents all you can eat from 11 to 4 and children under four feet tall only a dollar and a half <laughs> that's a typical mysterious oriental touch children under four feet tall <laughs> they don't tell you how wide I mean, uh, you know. But uh, let's see. The Great Shanghai. Oh, we have a book find club here. I'll never forget the the book I found one time when I was about nine, coming home from school. It's a little blue book. Found it in the alley. And uh, it was fantastic. And uh, instantly I realized, of course, that has nothing to do with the book find club that we're talking about here. Although that would be an exciting book find club if they sent you that kind of stuff. However... It says, when someone says reference book, do you think of a dull, dry book, you know, you keep around for a doorstop and that kind of stuff or to throw at people? Well, that same book could be a lot of fun. And uh, they have one called Atlantic Brief Lives, regularly 15 bucks. They'd love to send it to you for a dollar if you'll join the club. Now, as a member, all you have to do is buy one or two more books. You have to buy two more books, that's right, over a year's time. And the Book Find Club... Uh, digs up really great stuff. A lot of stuff you can't even buy in your local bookstore, which isn't much since they've given all their, you know, all their space over to selling uh, Snoopy sweatshirts. Most bookstores now sell, you know, Christmas cards, usually dirty ones, and uh, a lot of uh, Linus uh, security blankets. However, uh, we we like to recommend this book find club. It's good. Uh, you can call them at OX seven one five three five right now. The girl is standing on there. On the platform, waiting for you to call. Or send your name and address, no money, to Book Find, W-O-R, New York, 10018. And, uh, hey, listen, I, one more. I'm going to remind you before we go, we're going to do a big show. So set aside April 7th. Is that the date? Yeah, April 7th. Is that a Saturday? Friday night. It's a Friday night. Set aside April 7th. The Silver Tongue Devil is coming to Red Bank, New Jersey. That's good enough for Red Bank. Listen, I'll tell you, I've had uh, my my personal... Yeah, I'll be in Red Bank, New Jersey, the night of April the 7th at the Carroll Theater there. Charlton Theater. Carlton Theater. The Ding Dong Theater. It's the Carlton Theater. It's all right, honey. <laughs> but uh, so set that aside. You know, Red Bank uh, is a traumatic... Uh, every time I think of Red Bank, it's a traumatic thing to me. Because one of the absolute wild nights of my life, and I, I should save it for the show to tell a story. Maybe I better. Maybe I, I, won't, I won't tell you the story, but I'll tell you. One of the wild nights, absolutely wild nights of my life 
happened in Red Bank, New Jersey. And I never heard of Red Bank before that. I had arrived, I was at that time working for the government. And uh, yes, they gave me a suit and all that. And I, I was working for the government. Of course, a measly pay, but I had a lot of prestige. I, in a year and a half, had risen to the rank of PFC. So I was on my way. I could feel power coming, you know, from all directions. And I was sent to Fort Monmouth. Well, you know, Fort Monmouth is a legend among people in the Army. First of all, uh, they, they have roofs on the buildings, which uh, adds a lot to Fort Monmouth. And uh, we arrived at Fort Monmouth, and uh, it was a cold winter night. I'd never been to New Jersey. And uh, I had had another idea of what Jersey was like before I came there. Somehow, you know, you form a, a, an, an image in your mind of a state when you've never even been there. Now here, now here, I want you to listen here for a minute. Now, have you ever been to Iowa? Have you ever been to Iowa? Well, when I say Iowa to you, do you think of, you, you have some kind of an idea what Iowa should be like? Well, it ain't. I can guarantee you nothing is the way you think it is before you go there. And I had this idea what Jersey is. Well, I, I, I could never have conceived of, this, of the flagship in my wildest dreams. Uh, in, in my wildest uh, moments, I could never have thought of Route 22. But nevertheless, Jersey is this. But that night, after having arrived at Fort Monmouth and, uh, you know, getting, on my, getting my bedding and getting put into the tent and all that stuff and getting all the stuff ready. I remember, say, I've been in the Army two years already at this point. I'm, I'm a veteran type. The next day was a Saturday, and I went down to the down to the supply room, and I, you know, I messed around. I got a new jacket, and then I wound up with a pass, and I came to the Red Bank, New Jersey. It was that night. Hey, what, how am I getting this feedback? Is it, I'm getting feedback in here. But that night was the night that I have remembered above all other nights in the Army, a fantastic night in Red Bank that began sinisterly enough with a ping-pong game. All right, everybody, let's dance. A ping-pong game. Now, I'm a left-handed ping-pong player. And at the other end of the ping-pong table, well, that's beyond the scope of tonight's, tonight's little lecture. You've wondered why you have not been able to turn off that radio, haven't you? And by the way, we played, among other things tonight, we sent out to you a genuine fertility witchcraft sound that is only used, and incidentally, if it is used, it is used under penalty of strict law in various parts of East Africa. I have played it tonight. I would suggest you be very careful some stuff that could happen to you in the next couple of weeks are stuff you probably never expected to have happen. I'm just testing the powers here. That's all. You're part of a vast scientific uh, experiment. <laughs> and so it goes. Another day just like any other day passing through history. The difference, of course, is that you were there. Standing around picking your teeth, missing the point of everything, as you always do. You're just the kind of guy that would stand around when the barons are signing the Magna Carta and somebody says, hey, they're signing the Magna Carta down there, Beowulf. And you would say, ah, bunch of big shots, that's all talk. And you wouldn't even go and watch them. 
you're the same guy that would not go down to see Columbus set off on his fantastic historical voyage. You'd say, that's ah, another one of them Italian sailors. I should go down there. What are you talking about? Always missing the point. Always constantly flying the wrong kite. Always eternally, not only not betting on the right horse, but not even know that they got a race going on. And so it goes. They like any other. And the, you've already forgotten it, like every other. Spring is just beginning, friends. The sap is rising. God knows where it's going to lead us. Yeah, WOR New York, you stay tuned for John Scott and the News. A fire